Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and this evening we are doing another uh, solo episode. It is just me tonight, but uh, last time I did something like this, it was a pretty big hit, and this is another game that I really, really enjoy. Uh, it's a game that I've gotten to play uh, a couple times, uh, most notably at North Texas RPG Convention. Uh, so tonight, much like we did with Dungeon Crawl Classics, we are going to do a beginner's guide to Mutant Crawl Classics to introduce people to this lovely, weird, wacky game uh, using the pretty much the same system, actually the exact same system as Dungeon Crawl Classics, which we'll get into and seeing what kind of crazy, wacky fun we can have in the Wastelands of Terra AD, the uh, the setting of Mutant Crawl Classics. Some of this ground we covered in an episode last year where I interviewed Jim Wampler. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, Jim is the creator of Mutant Crawl Classics. I have a couple issues of Scientific Barbarian that he sent to me that we'll be talking about at some point. Uh, but... Needless to say, there is a huge, thriving gaming community around Mutant Crawl Classics. A lot of the circles that I have found myself in, uh, just kind of in the OSR world, they love them, some Mutant Crawl Classics. Uh, you know, Skeeter's Crypt of the Science Wizard. Uh, so, Crypt of the Science Wizard by Skeeter Green, for anyone unfamiliar with the show, anyone seeing this for the first time, uh, that uses Mutant Crawl Classics. Um, Dandelion Games, uh, Lou Alou, he puts out a lot of stuff from Mutant Crawl Classics. He's actually doing those, uh, kind of revamping of classic adventures for MCC. Uh, you know, the, the Silver Boulets, they do a lot of stuff for Mutant Crawl Classics. Ian McGarty actually was the first GM who ran MCC for me. So, uh, you know, that, that was a ton of fun. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, my experience with these things as we get into them. Uh, but ultimately, uh, this is not a review, uh, like I said with the, the DCC episode, because the review is five stars. Uh, this is a fantastic game. It's been out for forever, though. And, you know, you don't need another review of the system. Uh, those of you who have heard people talk about Mutant Crawl Classics and Dungeon Crawl Classics... I understand, you know, it can be daunting getting into these uh, particular game systems, especially if you're only familiar with 5e. You know, you'll, you'll find some stuff that, that seems familiar to you, 
uh, but you'll find some really weird stuff. So, of course, we are going to go through top to bottom Mutant Crawl Classics. So, let's move on over to screen share, and I am going to actually start in a really weird place to uh, you know, set the stage for you. Alrighty. Welcome, welcome to Mutant Crawl Classics. We're going to take a look at the cover art in just a little bit. But again, like I said, I want to kind of set the tone for you guys because one thing I found about Mutant Crawl Classics and a lot of the games that are similar to it, they lean very heavily on a, uh, a, a post-apocalyptic vision that doesn't really exist anymore in popular culture. This is very much the post-apocalyptic future according to the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, and a lot of, you know, what we see as post-apocalyptic really became popular in the last 15, 20 years. Uh, you know, you look at stuff like uh, Terminator, that was really kind of the, the beginning of the shift um, you know, Terminator really changed the the notion of what, you know, this, this far future wasteland is going to look like. And then really, uh, even moving beyond Terminator, Walking Dead really kind of shifted this notion of what a post-apocalypse would look like uh, from, from a pop culture perspective. We're firmly in the territory of stuff like Mad Max, although it's not as... Uh, vehicular based as Mad Max but you know we're, we're looking at stuff uh like Commandi at Earth's End and and crazy stuff like that crazy gonzo weird stuff uh so I'm gonna go through the Appendix M for Mutant Crawl Classics or for Mutant and uh we'll see a little bit of the inspirations that uh you know might help you get in the right headspace for Mutant Crawl Classics so it may seem strange in some respects to categorize Mutant Crawl Classics role-playing game as a science fiction game, when aspects of it seem to fall more solidly into the science fantasy genre. The key difference between the two subgenres is often a matter of the level of verisimilitude found within the setting. While most of the literary and media inspirations for MCCRPG date to the decades of the 60s and the 70s, this was an intentional stylistic choice purposely taken to complement the playstyle and feel of Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG, with which it is designed to be compatible. So, it's pulling from kind of these older sources because... These books, you know, both Dungeon Crawl Classics and Mutant Crawl Classics, harken back to a different era. They're modern role-playing games, but they harken back to uh, the old school. The, we're firmly in OSR territory. So if anyone is watching this and wondering what OSR is, this is OSR. This is the mindset, attitude, flavor of OSR. But some of the inspirational books, comics, movies that you might want to look at. Starship uh, by Brian Aldiss, Hot House, Daybreak, uh, Dying Earth. Dying Earth is actually, if, 
if you are in RPGs and you haven't perused the Dying Earth series yet, uh, you need to do so. Uh, because Vancian magic is where, you know, like D&D magic systems come from. So do yourself a favor and read the Dying Earth series by Jack Vance. And comics, you know, I already mentioned Commandi, The Last Boy on Earth. It's a Jack Kirby classic. And if you're looking for kind of a more modern take on it, not too terribly long ago, I think 2018, 2019, DC Comics did what was called the Commandi Challenge, where a bunch of modern creators did an issue each of Commandi, and everyone would have to pick up where the last one left off. Uh, I don't know how that went, so me making that recommendation might not be on point, but you know, it. If you don't want to go back and read the classics, uh, there is a modern entry point to Commandi, but you really should read the Jack Kirby original. And then movies, you're looking at Zardoz, Planet of the Apes, A Boy and His Dog, Wizards. Wizards, by the way, fundamentally weird movie. Ralph Bakshi animation. Um, <clears throat> my. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever be able to convince Elfie to watch a Ralph Bakshi movie with me because she holds so much contempt for him from The Lord of the Rings. So, you know, keep in mind, anyone who is only familiar with Bakshi from Lord of the Rings, that is not at all what any of the rest of his stuff is like. Most of it's pretty eclectic and weird. Uh, Damnation Alley, The Star Lost... Thundar the Barbarian, it's a great pull there. A lot of people love Thundar. Shane Hensley at one point said that he would make an RPG for Thundar the Barbarian. Uh, you know, when, when I asked him what property would you make an RPG for that hasn't had one, um, unfortunately for Shane, I think this is probably the best uh, Thundar RPG that is ever going to be released. Although... I don't mean to say that it's unfortunate because, you know, this is a great RPG. And then, of course, there's always stuff like Mad Max uh, to inspire your games. There, There's no reason with uh, Mutant Crawl Classics that you couldn't do a Mad Max setting. I mean, you, you might have to house rule some chase sequences and stuff like that. But with all the crazy stuff that you find in this... Uh, game, all the artifacts. Uh, the, there's absolutely no reason why you couldn't do Mad Max, so that's that's definitely in play here. And that's really what we're kind of working with. And to further cement that, I'm actually going to switch over here to a Hero Forge mini that I made. Something I'd like to do moving forward, and uh, you know, just as I continue to do any of these, like, intros or anything like that. Um, I like to make miniatures on Hero Forge just for fun. And this is um, this is Cromwell McGuinn, if he were in uh, Mutant Crawl Classics, uh, just because that's the template that I go with. He's, he's my... He's now my version of Jack the NPC, uh, if you like Seth Skorkowski. But, you know, you, you've got the, the crazy tattoos, the mutant eyes, the sawed-off shotgun, 
rubble, weird alien technology. I gave him uh, chainswords because chainswords are awesome. But yeah, this this image. Let let this and then the rest of the much better, uh, much more creative art that you're going to see. Uh, from this book be your guide to what this crazy world of mutant crawl classics is and what it can be so with that in mind let's go back up to the front cover here look at this craziness look at the purple and the fuchsia the the robot fighting bug men the crazy skeleton man the mohawk woman with the spear this is terra ad here's a nice little map of it and this is the world of mutant crawl classics looking at this it, it looks like this map is kind of based on the on north america i don't know I, I guess. And this kind of looks like South America down here, but, you know, warped a little bit. It's probably not, but, you know, it's cool to think about stuff like that. Great piece right here. This is here. I'm actually going to back up for this one so you guys can kind of take it in all at once on your screen. But, yeah, this is the kind of craziness that you are about to get yourself into. Fun splash page here, and the credits. Uh, so much like DCC before it, the credits pages here are all in a really cool, really funky layout. Uh, so obviously this game is written and designed by Jim Wampler, as we already mentioned, based on DCC by Joseph Goodman. And then, uh, you know, Joseph Goodman was the art director. Jim Wampler did the layouts. Uh, Doug Kovacs on the cover. He's also got some interior work in here, along with, uh, you know, Russ Nicholson. Uh, Jim has some pieces in here himself. Uh, Fred Daly, Chris Arneson, Tom Galambos, Frederick Haas, Cliff Kurowski, Barry James, Doug Kovacs. Like I already mentioned, William McCalston, Brad McDevitt, Jesse Mon, Peter Mullen. By the way, Peter Mullen was that opening page right here. This is what Peter Mullen's work looks like. You, you guys have probably seen it because I'm pretty sure he had some stuff in uh, DCC, if nothing else. And he's a legend. Russ Nicholson, also a legend. You guys already know that. Stefan Pogue. On and on. And moving on down, we get to the table of contents, which I will back up on. Not quite at... Actually, no, I take that back. Uh, taking this in all at once, you've got the alien on the control panel. These are his screens. Uh, so th this is your table of contents. Uh, and I'm... Again, I'm going through this because I really love the design here. It... Is it the easiest thing in the world to read? Probably not, but I don't necessarily care about that for this book. 
Uh, obviously, an RPG book should be a good reference book, but the design here, it's not all that difficult to read. Um, and it's it's design first. It's It's making this look cool first, which... You know, I can't I can't complain too much about that. But we are going to skip forward a little bit and get into character creation. Although I guess here let's uh You got a forward here by Jim Ward. Um again, another name who which should be widely known to anyone watching this. Uh Jim Ward, for anyone who doesn't know, was the creator of Gamma World, uh, which this is heavily based on. This is a spiritual successor to Gamma World. Um, you know, Jim very much learned, uh, Jim Wampler very much learned from, from Jim Ward uh, about gaming and stuff like that. Uh, so this is a, it, it's nice to have kind of this official seal of approval from Jim Ward here to, to kick things off. Um preface by Jim, and then you get into introduction. And already you can see here, uh, this is very reminiscent of uh, Ralph Bakshi's The Wizards. I won't pull up any pictures, uh, not because I'm afraid of getting sued, uh, but because if you start Googling around uh, Wizard, uh, 1977 Wizards, uh, you get some weird stuff. Because there's some weird stuff in that movie, like... Uh, Things flying on swastikas and uh, fairy creatures, um, and you know all kinds of weirdness. But the, this is this image right here is very reminiscent of uh, wizards. And so this is just an introduction to uh, you know what is MCC and a little bit about Terra AD, um, which, as mentioned here, is a primitive world dominated by the bizarre side effects of an ancient holocaust known only as the Great Disaster. Millennia after this cataclysmic extinction event, the world, now known as Terra AD, after disaster, has regrown into a lush tropical wilderness. The life forms that survive and flourish on Terra AD did so because natural selection rewarded their ancestors for possessing either very plastic or very hardy genomes. Plants and animals with wild and unstable mutations permeate the ecosystem and the food chain. Though some species have settled down into relatively stable body plans and are capable of reproducing true to form, there is still the chance in any given birth of a new mutation arising. So, uh, we have this mashup of a hunter-gatherer society, which we'll get into, you know, a whole bunch of nomadic tribes of creatures wandering around, and the remnants of technology. Uh, so you'll find crazy stuff from uh, the time of the disaster, which includes uh, like space age technology, which is why my character had a mohawk, uh, but also was wearing a cut off leather jacket and had a shotgun, because that is par for the course in mutant crawl classics. So, just a couple of uh, introductions here. The Ancient Ones. It is generally accepted amongst the denizens of Terra AD that there once existed a legendary race of unknown type that ruled and ordered the world with an arcane force known as technology. 
While nearly every sentient species makes an apocryphal claim to be direct descendants of these protean techno-wizards of millennia past, the evidence of their existence is inarguable. Though long since passed out of all memory, the imperishable artifacts and ruined haunts of the Ancient Ones were manufactured of some incomprehensibly durable substance, with such super-scientific know-how as to be virtually immune to the ravages of passing centuries. Many such devices and places may yet be discovered relatively intact by those brave enough to plumb the taboo lands of Terra A.D. So this is your, uh, this is your excuse for dungeon crawling. Uh, your characters are exploring, they're, they're reavers, they're, they're exploring these, uh, ruined sites to harvest technology. And, you know, to, to thrive and survive with that, uh, in mind. So the core mechanics here, uh, you know, this is pretty much the same as DCC. You have the, uh, the crazy dice, which I have a set of right here. Uh, th these are DCC dice, but it's the same, it's the same dice chain. So, again, just to reiterate the dice chain... You go D3, D4, D5, D6, D7, D8, D10, uh, D percentile 10, which is the D100, D12, D14, D16, D20, D24, and D30. And so you will frequently be asked to roll 1d20, add or subtract modifiers, and the goal is to roll high and beat a difficulty class or DC. Sometimes the DC will have very specific terms. Um, one's an automatic miss. 20 is an automatic hit. There are crit tables in this one, just like there are in uh, DCC. So that's still here, because it's awesome. And this is another thing that I like as a holdover from DCC. Just, you know, what's what's familiar, what's different here. Uh, so we don't have prestige classes, attacks of opportunity feats, any of the stuff that you see in 4th uh, edition, 3.5 edition, or even, you know, 5th edition in some of these cases. Pure strain humans select from one of four classes at first level. For mutants, manimals, and plantients, their races and their classes are the same thing. Uh, we use ascending armor class, always great. Attack saves and skill checks are a d20, adding modifiers. Uh, three saving throws, fortitude, reflex, willpower. Critical hit tables. And uh, PCs can burn off ability scores to enhance some dice rolls. All characters can burn luck. Shamans, mutants, manimals, and plantiates can burn other abilities. We'll get to that. And then here are some of the other stuff. Uh, or some, yeah, some of the other stuff that is unique to Mutant Crawl Classic. So Healer's Naturopathy ability or naturopath abilities are quick, near-instant healing abilities 
derived from an oral tradition of local herb used and biofeedback techniques. Shaman's wetware programs are cast with a program check, 1d20, add a modifier, uh, try to score high, and the higher the roll, the more effective the result. It's like the spellcasting table from DCC. And each program has a chart, so yeah, spellcasting from DCC. Shamans may or may not lose their wetware programs, just like in DCC. And wetware programs are always granted to a shaman by a patron AI. So the cool thing about magic in this particular system is it's from computers. It's it's the Arthur C. Clarke notion of any uh, technology of a certain sophistication level would appear magical to cultures unfamiliar with it. So... You know, we've we've gone all the way around the bend. We're so far in the future that technology is, uh, you know, weird and foreign and dangerous. So all the magic is clo- clothed in technology. Um, and if you add DCC to the mix, then you get, uh, you know, regular technology uh, or you get the techno magic mixed with actual magic and some weird things can happen there. So with that, actually... Take a look at this nice piece of art here. Fantastic. Character creation. And here we get... I, I love these little bits that they put in here. Um, you're no hero. You're a wasteland wanderer. A mutant, a seeker, a robot killer. A stoic shaman guarding forgotten ancient sciences. You seek triumph and technology. Winning it with mutations and magic. Soaked in the radiation and quantum fields of the altered, the savage, the semi-sentient, and the artificially intelligent. There are treasures to be won in the taboo lands and ruins, and you shall have them. And this is from the Curator Prime, uh, Reltmal Smaj, or Simaj. Which, uh, for <laughs> those of you who can't read backwards... James Wampler. I just realized that, so don't feel too bad. Anyway. Character creation here is very, very similar to DCC. Uh, You know, you're starting at zero level and you're going to be put through a funnel. Unless you skip the funnel part, in which case, you know, okay, but you're missing out. So you roll your ability scores, uh, which I believe is, let's see, ability scores, 3d6 in order, yep, just making sure. So yeah, you roll your ability scores, you adjust your modifiers, uh, attack score and saving throw, you roll a d4 for zero level hit points, you roll uh, on the table for your beginning profession, uh, roll your birth sign, which is what you get to add your luck to. Oh, hey, Lou, welcome. And for anyone uh, who is not going to be able to see the chats or miss that as it came in, um, Lou is recommending the... Uh, Enchiridion of the Computarchs 
and Bronx Beasts as add-ons for the game. Um, I definitely butchered the pronunciation of those words, but they're fake words, so everyone probably pronounces them differently. But apparently those help with the Manimal and Shaman. Um, cause, and that's something I'll get into when we get into classes. The Manimal and the Shaman are very vague in, in what they offer, so... Having those supplemental books, like like Lou is pointing out here, that does help. And these things are, in a lot of cases, vague on purpose so that you can do stuff like that. You can, uh, you know, riff on them a little bit, kind of make them your own. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, you roll twice for additional beginning equipment. Roll your genotype. Determine genotype appearance or subtype, if any. And choose an archaic alignment. There's a mention here of the uh, the Zochi dice, the weird dice, and the dice chain. And just as a reminder, uh, I'll read the dice chain bit here. One of the most fun aspects of using weird dice in a rule set is getting to roll those dice. Many additional RPGs utilize modifiers to dice rolls as a way to express improved success or failure in an action, for example, an attack with an offhand weapon may incur a minus four penalty, or an attack against a motionless opponent may grant a plus four bonus. In addition to, and sometimes in place of, this traditional modifier system, MCC uses the dice chain system of swapping out die types when and where the modifier is sufficiently large. Although d20 is the core dice mechanic in the game, there are times where the player may be instructed to roll a d16, or a d24 instead, depending on whether the action has improved or reduced chance of success. So yeah, some some things will knock you up the chain, some will knock you down the chain. Uh, it just depends on the circumstances. Again, much like Dungeon Crawl Classics. And ability scores, once again, we have strength, agility, stamina, personality, intelligence, and luck. Strength, agility, and stamina are pretty uh, self-explanatory. Strength, uh, you know, as my as my T-shirt that I'm wearing tonight, but you guys can't see, says strength is whether or not you can crush a tomato. Um, agility is what or how far you can throw a tomato. Stamina, I guess in this case, would be uh, whether or not you can eat a tomato or how you react to eating a tomato. Although I guess it's more, um, since it affects your fortitude saving throw, I guess it's how many tomatoes you can eat. Personality is being able to sell someone a fruit salad with tomato in it. Intelligence is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. And luck is taking a bite of a tomato and realizing that you grabbed an apple by mistake. And luck, uh, luck is really kind of the central stat that these games, DCC and MCC, do really well. Um, because luck, you can you can burn it to uh, you know increase rolls. Uh, your character's luck modifier affects other rolls in the game. Critical hits, fumbles, and select other rolls as described henceforth. Uh, you can make luck checks to attempt feats that succeed based on luck alone. And luck can be restored over the course of adventures, 
uh, by, you know, grants from the judge, restoration process. Um, some classes can generate luck. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But yeah, luck is super important. And then here we have, uh, you know, this is the chart of ability modifiers. So, uh, like, if you have, if you're a shaman, your modifiers um, will help determine how many programs you can know and what, you know, the highest level program is based on your ability score. Um, it also determines your tech level. Uh, so this is being able to identify, the, the tech level is being able to identify artifacts with an artifact check, uh, which is important because some characters get bonuses, some don't. And this helps you, again, identify some of this weird tech that you're finding. And, uh, you know, as this is mentioned here, uh, pure strain humans and plantients can renew their luck score at a defined rate, which we'll get to. And then this mentions hopeless characters. Um, so, the, you know, this mentions a character that can uh, die during creation process. This is basically your innkeeper rule here. So if you possess a three stamina score and would have a minus three modifier to hit points rolled at zero level, if you result in negative hit points, you die. Um, so, yeah, there, your character can die in generation. It, statistically, it is possible. And it is also possible for a zero-level character to start the game severely handicapped by unlucky ability score rolls during character creation. Uh, judges should encourage players to play even these 1 HP wonders, as many things can happen to the character during the course of play. And likely what's going to end up happening if you're running the funnels at zero level, uh, you're probably going to have to roll up five or six of these characters, just depending on how harsh your, your judge is. And unlike DCC, this is where this game kind of, you know, diverges. DCC, because it's a medieval fantasy game, you had that whole long list of possible um, professions. In uh, Mutant Crawl Classics, you get two. You roll a D100. I don't know why they didn't just make it a D4. But you roll a D100. 1 through 50, you're a hunter. 51 through 100, you're a gatherer. Yeah, as Lou is mentioning in chat here, um, you can encounter things that mutate your characters, things that change your stats, uh, you know, because of the weird unknown nature of a lot of things out there, uh, certain things can happen that will forever alter your character stats. Uh, in the game that Ian McGarty ran, there was a machine where you stuck your arm in and it gave you mutations, uh, depending on how well you rolled, uh, for, I believe it was a fortitude save. And, uh, some of that stuff did, uh, raise and lower people's stats or give them alternate mutations, just depending on, again, what they rolled. So, 
you can enter the world with one HP. You can, you know, fall into a vat of toxic waste, for lack of a better word, and end up, you know, having your stats completely shift. So that is definitely possible in in the world of Terra AD. And then you roll your birth sign. Uh, so this is the character's lucky roll. So um, DCC kind of explains this better. There, there are some things in life that some people just seem to have unnatural luck with. Uh, and, you know, I mentioned my little sister, Katie, could always pull off the 30% off coupon uh, on the Coles mailer that would come on Sundays. So mom would always put the, the Coles mailer in front of Katie and say, all right, pull me a 30%. And more often than not, Katie did it. So, you know, I don't know what that birth sign would be here. Maybe, uh, maybe the Warbot gives you gives you a better chance to pull 30% off uh, and, and extra Coles cash, but I don't know. This is the way that, that MCC and DCC, um, you know, simulate that particular uh, facet of life. And so uh, with these, you know, you can use your luck modifier on, uh, you know, your inherent lucky rolls. So, you know, you, you roll your D30 and, you know, you, you get the CPU and you get to add your luck modifier to initiative. Or you get to add it to your armor class, the bunker. Uh, you know, saving throws versus poison for the healer, nuclear winter, all attack rolls, the Roxin, all melee attack rolls, uh, the unchanging defect rolls, all kinds of great stuff. And then your beginning equipment. Everyone starts off with, I believe, yeah, a flint dagger and a water skin. And then you roll two times on this table, um to determine an additional piece of equipment, which could be a stone axe, a flint fire starter, jerked rocks and meat, you know, on down the line. It's like, you know, some, some of the additional goods that you get uh, in, in DCC. And yes, as Lou mentions here, I'll, I'll zoom in on this because if I ever convince... Elfie to play a game of Mutant Crawl Classics. She's gonna be really bummed out if she doesn't roll this. But on a result of 98 or 100, you get a telepathic rat with a 1d3 attack. Uh, that is your pet. So you may enter the crazy world of Terra AD with a telepathic rat friend. This game is cuckoo bananas and I love it. And then down here it mentions your saving throws, uh, fortitude, reflex, and willpower. And uh, let's see. I believe it mentions... I don't, I don't remember where the saving throws are mentioned. I think that's up here. So let's let's move back up here. Ability scores. Maybe I haven't gotten to it yet. Let's see. 
So we're going to jump forward a little bit just to talk about saving throws here. Uh, well, it doesn't say what stats there. I guess that's up here under uh, ability score modifiers. Yep. Yeah, Lou is right. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Lou. I appreciate it. Uh, because even though I have played the game, I am not as uh, literate in the uh, in the player's handbook as I am with like 5e. So yeah, uh, stamina is uh, your fortitude saving throw. And let's see, agility is reflex. And I believe, yeah, uh, personality is willpower. There we go. So fortitude, reflex, and willpower. Now, genotypes. You roll a D100 at the beginning to determine uh, what you are as far as your genotype. This is how you present. Uh, so instead of it being tied to your profession, like it is in DCC, uh, it's tied to this genotype role. So if you roll a D100, you are a pure strain, or sorry, on a 1 through 32, you're a pure strain human, and that opens up the classes of Sentinel, Shaman, Healer, and Rover. If you roll... 33 through 66 for mutant, 67 through 88 for manimal, or 89 through 100 for plantient, then you will level with those as your class. Mutant, manimal, and plantient are your class. They can mutate. Uh, radiation does not affect pure strain humans. So the additional mutations won't uh, necessarily take effect... Uh, in the same way that they do with mutant, manimal, and plantient if you are a pure strain human. And then your genotype, um, if you're a mutant, you roll on this table, which, you know, mentions the, the different, uh, you know, genotypic uh, indicators that of your mutation. You can have crazy skin texture, skin color, eyes, mouth, head, hair, hands. Um, your hands can be tentacles. They can be replaced with tentacle fingers. Uh, you know, your, your feet can be hooves. They can be bird talons. You can have 12 toes. So these are all just, you know, crazy different ways that your character can present, uh, you know, their, their mutations. Each one, you, you roll a d6. If you're a manimal, this is how you determine what type you are. Uh, primate, canine, feline, ursine, bovine, suede, rodentia, amphibia, avian, insecta, or roll again on the table. And if I remember correctly, I was... Yeah, I was a uh, Warthog. I played a Warthog man uh, in Ian's game. In uh, in Skeeter's game, in Crypt of the Science Wizard, I was a pure strain human sentinel. 
And uh, we'll, we'll get to that story again in just a little bit for anyone who forgot it. Uh, once we start talking about classes, though, we will uh, we'll get into that. And then you have the plantiate subtypes. Uh, you know, you can be a, a conifer, a deciduous, fruit-bearing, fern, vine, shrub, tropical, cacti, mosses, or fungi. And I don't think I mentioned this yet, but just to let you guys know, uh, you know, mutant, you're like a mutated human. Uh, Manimal, that's pretty on the nose there. You are an animal-human hybrid. Plantient, you are a plant creature. And they are fun and hilarious and weird, and you want to have one on your side. If you're one of those people who really, really cares about, uh, really cares about, like, your party balance and optimization and, you know, making sure you've got, like, one of everything in your party, uh, a plantient, even though you're rolling randomly in this game, if you can pick your character types, a plantient is a valuable asset to have in the wasteland. Because they're basically luck generators. And so all level zero genotypes can be clan of the cog. Um, and hum pure strain humans can be the curators. Mutants can become children of the glow. And manimals can be the chosen zoo. Plantients get to be the atomic equinox if they want to. Uh, this mentions the alignments over here. Your programs and spells will be tied to them. And uh, chapter five will detail the alignments a little bit better. Um, but yeah, that's that's basically what you're doing. And then this mentions, you know, what the, the life of a seeker is. You're, you're looking for ancient technology to harvest and to uh, understand. You level with XP. And once you reach level one, you either... Continue leveling as the uh, the class that you rolled, if you're a mutant, manimal, or plantient. Or if you are a, excuse me, if you are a human, you can level as a sentinel, shaman, or healer. XP table, just like in DCC. And, you know, this is exactly what I just said. So, character classes. Another great piece of art here. And the Sentinel. The Sentinel is essentially the fighter. Fighter-barbarian hybrid here. Uh, so you get 1d12 hit points at each level. Uh, you do have a natural affinity for understanding artifact armor and weapons. Uh, so if anything is armor or weapon, you will have, uh, you know, ability to understand it. Um, anything beyond that, you know, your, your mileage may vary, but you will have a, uh, a little bit of a bonus to artifact checks. And artifact checks with uh, weapons and armor. 
and you gain an added advantage when mastering and using technological weapons and armor. At each level, Sentinels add an extra artifact die to their artifact check when examining artifact weapons and armor. So yes, you get to roll an additional die and add it to your total for artifact checks. Again, this is specific for, for uh, weapons and armor. There's a separate artifact check bonus, which you get just, you know, because. Because you're pure strain, you have Darwinian luck, um, so you regain one luck point for each 24-hour period you're adventuring. This is good to have because, you know, you... This allows you basically to, to burn luck to, uh, you know, up your attack rolls is the mechanical advantage of having this. You can do the same thing for uh, the casters as well. And you get a plus two to recognize AI. So again, because the lines between magic and technology have been so heavily blurred by distance and time, uh, AIs might not be as recognizable to your characters as they might be to you yourself. So you run across a robot uh, that seems to be super intelligent. There's a chance your character might think it's a god. Uh, but humans, because they are, you know, more attuned to this kind of thing, they are, uh, you know, better able to recognize uh, AIs. And you can choose the Clan of the Cog or the Curators as your archaic alignments. Oh, okay, Lou, thank you. Thank you for pointing out. That's, uh, that's important. Okay. So, strike that correction. It's not you recognizing AIs, although that is probably something that would happen theoretically. This is AIs recognizing you. Or recognizing you as, you know, a, a like Lou says here in chat here, a user someone who can interface with the AI. So as a pure strain humans, AIs will be able to recognize you. <laughs> I, I'm glad you appreciate my, my fumble as an actual uh, cool mechanic there, Lou. I, and I'm glad you corrected me because people in the YouTube comments are going to like eat me alive for, for making that mistake. But basically the, the judge will roll to see if, uh, you know, the AI recognizes your inputs and you get a plus two as a human because you resemble the ancient ones. So yeah, there's that. And I love the titles in DCC and MCC. So Sentinels, Recruit, Trooper, Specialist, Commander, Sentinel, Fifth is Name Level, Sentinel Supreme. cool artwork of the sentinel and then you get into the shaman these are the main uh kind of wizard casters in mcc so pure strained humans of high intelligence often become shamans specialize in ancient lore and knowledge particularly focusing upon legend and myth associated with those demigod servants of the ancient ones uh so fewer hit points this level uh, or each level, 1d4, you get a much higher artifact check bonus, uh, you know, from the get-go. Because of your, you know, inner 
knowledge of the inner workings of technology. You choose an AI patron, uh, which grants you access to wetware programs. Um, you can invoke patron with your AI. So it, it's kind of a hybrid of like a wizard and a cleric or a warlock in that you are, you're, you're interfacing with the god program, basically, and it's granting you abilities. A really interesting take on Vancey and Magic. Um, kind of brilliant, actually. I love it. You also get Darwinian luck. Uh, so you you don't get it as much as the uh, the Sentinel does. You regain uh, one point per seven days. But that does give you extra resources to burn uh, for your spellcasting. You also get the plus two to AI recognition, and you can also choose Clan of Cog or the Curators. Uh, looks like you can max out your wetware at level five. Name level for a shaman is actually third level. And again, just, just so everyone knows, we, we talked about this in DCC. Max level is 10. Um, you can probably go higher. Just you, you really stop gaining benefits at level 10. And you are stopped, your name stops at level 6. So, there's that. Here's a nice uh, combination max headroom and like HP Lovecraft thing that's really super cool. God, the art in this book is amazing. And then you get into healers. Uh, natural caregivers, adherence to the most holy and respected of life paths are experts in naturopathy and the medicinal uses of fruits, leaves, and berries. Uh, D8 hit points each level. Uh, slightly better bonus to artifact checks than what the sentinel gets, but you're not a shaman. Uh, you do have a uh, kind of a natural affinity for medical artifacts, though. And with uh, naturopathy, you are... Let's see. You can use these techniques two times per day per level, uh, which, you know, grants healing by the die type that you can see here on uh, this chart that I just highlighted all of. <laughs> Plus two day air recognition, and you also have uh, the holy medicinal order as far as alignments once you reach level four. Uh, which is just below name level. You're a doctor at that point, but not a torpedo technician or a miracle worker or, you know, insert your own Star Trek joke. Some healers. And a rover. This is your kind of rogue ranger type character. 
1d6 hit points per level, uh, natural affinity for understanding the artifacts of the ancients. So you're, you're going to have a higher artifact check. Um, you also have a bonus to, uh, you know, interfacing with doors and security systems, uh, you know, being able to hack those and also remain hidden. You get the same luck bonus, same AI recognition bonus, and the same alignments as most of the other ones. Name level is fifth level again. And I forgot to mention this, but your uh, the the attack um, the attack melee and missile bonuses are. <clears throat> Same mechanics as uh, DCC. So each level you'll have an additional bonus to your attack. Anyway. And now Mutant. This is the race class hybrid, or the first race class hybrid, uh, with a D5 hit points. You're descendants of the Ancient Ones, but unlike your, uh, you know, pure strain humans, uh, you've got some mutations. And at first level, you get uh, random 1d3 physical mutations and 1d2 mental mutations from uh, Table 3.2, which we can look at later. And uh, you can get a bonus to initiative uh, because of your crazy appearance, which is great. Mutant Horror initiative bonus. And if you lose all of your mutations for any reason, again, like Lou mentioned earlier, uh, you can gain and lose mutations as you go, depending on what you find. <clears throat> Uh, your genome hardens and you become a pure strain human. At that point, you um, enter one of the classes at first level and you can't gain mutations again. So if you uh, lose all of your mutations, uh, you become a, a pure strain human and you have to level as one of the human classes. And then you lose the ability to take on mutations ever again. So... You know, maybe that's a bonus for you, maybe not. I don't know. But mutants are cool. Uh, because you can do stuff uh, like Radburn. So if you're exposed to radiation or other mutagens, uh, you can develop or lose mutations, which that's what Radburn is. Um, we'll talk about that in Chapter 3. Glowburn. Uh, you can use this stuff... Uh, to activate your mutant powers to boost the effects. Again, we'll talk about that. AI recognition, um, it's just a plus one bonus because of your mutations. And then you can be Clan of Cog or Children of the Glow. And with this, you get certain mutant powers or mutations that grant powers depending on you know what you're doing. Fifth level is name level. And manimals. 
1d7 hit points. Uh, once again, you are an animal-human hybrid here. And you get 1d2 random physical and one random mental mutation based on the table. Uh, you have a natural attack with bite or claw, just kind of depending on how your mutations manifest. And when coordinating melee attacks on the same target, manimals gain a plus one attack for each manimal attacking a single opponent. So you basically get the Null's pack tactics from uh, D&D, which is cool. It's nice to have on the player side. So uh, you don't really get that much of a bonus for artifact checks. You don't have a natural affinity. You are affected by Radburn. You can use Glowburn uh, if you have mutant powers that applies to. Yeah, what Lou points out here, w once we look at the mutations table, um, it, it does seem that the uh, one of the flaws in this game system is the fact that the manimal mutations don't line up well. Uh, with the fact that you are a human-animal hybrid. Uh, so Lou is recommending Bronx Beast, uh, which is available. Uh, is that available on Goodman Game site, Lou? I guess I can look that up. Let's see. Goodman Games. And Lou is drawing comparisons to the, uh, the Palladium... Uh, TMNT game, which a lot of people love that, so. If that's you, then, let's see. Bronx Beast. Here it is. Compatible with DCC and MCC. But yeah, this is its own separate uh, game rules book that does help with the uh, the mutation side of things. And also you can use it to do like your, your TMNT game, like Lou mentioned. So it's, you know, it's worth the money, at least in my opinion. And you, the Manimals, this is one thing I'll say about the Manimals. They've got great... Uh, titles. These titles are phenomenal. Uh, Omega Cub, Theta Soldier, Gamma Trooper, Beta Commander, Alpha Leader, and Alpha Pack Leader. That's fantastic. That is great. And here you see there's a Warthog Man, similar to the one that I played. You've got a Bug Man, uh, some kind of weird Yak Man, Monkey Man, and an Eagle Man. And then the Plantians. Oh, Plantians. These things are fun. D5 hit points per each level. Uh, 1D3 random physical mutations. You've got a natural D4 thorn or spine missile attack. And you don't really get that much of a bonus. Actually, starting off, you have a negative artifact check because Plantians don't care. But your big, uh, your big mechanic here, as far as 
uh, you know, being a benefit to yourself and to the party. Plantients excrete or naturally excrete fragrances, pollen, and spores that cause most creatures to treat them favorably, even if only subconsciously. Thus, plantient characters are naturally lucky and gain two points of luck for every one point spent. They may donate this luck to others if they so choose. Plantients regenerate luck at a rate of two luck points per level per 24-hour period. So, uh, if you spend a luck point, you get two more. You're, you're heavily incentivized to use luck points. Again, you are a luck machine, and you can give them out to your, your party members. So, again, having a plantient in the party is a great asset. Uh, plantients are not recognized by AIs. And uh, in most outdoor settings, plantient characters have only to remain still to gain an automatic 50% chance of hiding successfully. This chance of successfully hiding goes up by 5% for each level gained. So, what that means is, uh, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. At 10th level, if you stand still outside, you're, you're just a tree. It's great. There'd still be a slight chance, just, you know, for the judge's sake, just so you're not too OP. But, you know, you're pretty much invisible if you stand still outside as a plantian at 10th level. And, of course, you are affected by Radburn. You can use Glowburn and... Uh, you've got the Atomic Equinox and the Clan of the Cog as your alignment options. And that's it for the classes. Let's talk a little bit about mutations. So, you've got your active and passive mutations. Uh, active are, you know, powers, essentially. Passive ones are, uh, you know, they'll up stats or, or do things like that. And defects are harmful and unpleasant mutations of generally disadvantageous nature. So you get your metagenes at level one. Those are the, the ones that you roll here. Um... And then Radburn, if you are exposed to radiation or some kind of mutagen, uh, you roll a d20 on a result of 1 to 2. For all three, you gain a defect. Uh, 3 to 13, 3 to 5, or 3 to 13 for a mutant, 3 to 15 for a manimal, and 3 to 20 for a plantiate, you get a physical mutation. And then 14 to 20 for a mutant or 16 to 20 for a manimal, you get a mental mutation. Plantients don't get mental mutations, unfortunately. But you generate luck, so, you know, you take your wins and losses where you can get them. And then Radburn, um... Basically, it's, um, you know, you make a fortitude saving throw. If you roll a one, you lose one random mutation or defect. Um, if you make the saving roll uh, by, you know, a natural 20, 
Then a mutant character gains one new random mutation or defect. Um, so basically, you're looking to pass the save. And then you add your, uh, your class level. And, you know, you, you roll your dice, add your class level, and this is the result of Radburn. You get to roll on the table after that. And then Glowburn. Uh, beginning at first level, characters may elect to use Glowburn to increase mutation check roll. Glowburn use... Uh, Glowburn use must be announced in advance, uh, and you burn off a point of a physical attribute... To add one point to your mutation check uh, for every point burned off of your abilities. In-game, uh, you're eating radioactive material. So you're taking a bite out of some uranium to hopefully, uh, you know, grow wings. So uh, I, I'm gonna throw out the disclaimer of kids don't try this at home. You are not a you're not a manimal, but you know, at least in the world of mutant crawl classics, uh, the idea of you know chowing down on a hoagie made out of plutonium uh, might actually be a net positive for your character. And then you get to mutations. Um, physical mutations, you know, you roll your D100. That That's an interesting mechanic there. So, so Lou makes his characters, uh, like, harvest stuff for Radburn. So if you want to get additional mutations uh, at Lou's table, basically he has his players, you know, salvage certain things, and then you can use them as, you know, it's a crapshoot whether or not this is going to work, but here, let's try it. But yeah, your your mutations, uh, it's a D100 on the table. Uh, one through five, you get a defect. Unless you are rolling a defect, then you get two. So uh, that may stack. Uh, you might want to be careful with that, rolling defects. So you roll like a one through five twice in a row. You're looking at four defects. And yes, I will enforce it that way. But there are all kinds of cool things here. Uh, you know, you can get a carapace, you can get claws, gas generation. Um, with mental mutations, you get stuff like mind control, mental shields, mental blasts, uh, you know, force field generation, all that stuff. And then you have Mega Mutations, which if you roll a 98 through 100, um, at that point, you know, you're looking at some of these other crazy ones that are uh, physical and mental. And there's an explanation down here of all of them. It's, it's a huge, long portion that we won't get into, but there are, uh, there are some great options here for, uh, for different... mutations physical and mental <laughs> Picoto, i'm right there with you i i already have gas generation myself uh, i made chili on halloween 
So, you know, eating that leftover chili is definitely uh, increased. It's like glow burn for my my gas generation, the, the chili that I made. But chili on Halloween is, in fact, a, uh, a tradition. So we keep doing it. And of course, you know, the defects are, you know, your, your typical things. You have an asymmetrical body, uh, attraction odor, you lose a body part, uh, delayed reaction, all kinds of crazy stuff. Yes, chil- chili is great. I love me some chili. And I make it with skillet cornbread. Magnifique. It's great. Anyway. Uh, combat and skills. This is very much the same as DCC. It's, you know, you're rolling a dice and adding your modifiers to hit the target number. Uh, We don't really have to get into this too terribly much. Obviously, you've got the critical tables. um, And these are different for each class. Then you have the fumble table. And luck burning. So each character can permanently burn luck to give a one-time bonus to a roll. Uh, You can burn six points to get a plus six modifier, but your luck score is now six points lower. And again, uh, plantients and your, uh, your... Pure strain humans are, uh, you know, always are. They're able to generate luck at a certain certain rate. Oh no! I didn't mean to click on that. Anyway, getting into some of these archaic alignments as we're uh, you know getting towards the end of our time here, uh, the clan of the cogs or clan of cog. Um, they're adherents uh, to the enlightened belief system. It's uh, you know, prevalent among tribal sentients of all genotypes. Um, the terrifying wilds of Terra AD, one's chances of survival increase exponentially if one respects and cooperates with all intelligent beings. So these are the... The clan of Cog is just like, you know, we're all going to get along here. This is your main, uh, you know, alignment here. It's a safe passage through their territories and the right to invoke clan hospitality. And uh, your secret sign is a circle traced on your forehead. Chosen Zoo, this is your Manimals clan. Um, pretty much you're just, you know, just Manimals here. Uh, merit-based rank in paramilitary organization that is universally recognized among all alignment members, shared material resources and intelligence among members and allies. Clenched right paw, actually on the upper left torso, so there you go. Children of the Glow. Uh, This is mutant, manimal, or plantient. 
Uh, you must undergo a trial consisting of spending one week in a known radioactive area and surviving the experience, providing the or proving the devotion and piety to the individual's belief in the glow. So basically, you're worshiping the glow here, and you know your your increase in uh, you know powers and abilities that that's from the glow. It's a gift from the glow. The curators. Uh, you can join if you are a pure strain human, mutant, or manimal. If you kind of, you know, believe in what they're looking for. Um, so basically this is, you know, you're, you're devoted to technology and, and gathering and trading technology. Um, you get plus one to your artifact checks. It looks like it is something like this. The head nod. And then if you're one of the more inclusive ones, you, you know, welcome. But if not, then, you know, you just bow your head and you're like, all right, peasant, what do you want? Atomic Equinox. Uh, this is for plantients and select pure strain humans. You can't be lost in the wilderness. And, or, wilderness containing plants, you can still get lost in the desert. And you are reliably able to locate sources of fresh water. Holy Medicinal Order, Batman. Uh, this is mostly for NPC characters, uh, but you can't fight. PC of any genotype may join, but must forswear to forever give up all martial arts or combat under pain of excommunication from the Order. So you're universally treated as a non-combatant. And if you bring harm to a monk of the Holy Medicinal Order, uh, that's not cool. People aren't going to like that. So try to avoid doing that. It would be interesting to, to have a character join the Holy Medicinal Order would be interesting to then enforce that on players because this is the this is the cleric problem that uh professor dungeon master has addressed uh your religion as a cleric in a DD type game may forbid you from doing certain things uh, you know so if if your party gets a little bit rough with uh you know a prisoner that they took uh you as a cleric might might be compelled by your god to not heal the people who did the torturing. Or you might be punished for uh, allowing it to happen. So, let's say you have a PC who wants to join the Holy Medicinal Order. Yes, you have someone who can't be attacked, but that person can't participate in combat. So, again, interesting things to work with here. Then you have the Gene Police. Um... An ancient and savage secret society 
bent upon eliminating all mutation from the face of Terra AD. So these, this is like, you know, the, the pure strain humans uh, looking at, you know, killing off all the mutations. And it's mostly for NPCs. You probably shouldn't have your, uh, your, your PCs try to do this. These are, these are enemies. And then the Blessed Brotherhood or the Vile Brotherhood, also mostly NPCs. Um, an elite priesthood of mutants with superior mental mutations. So again, these are also like NPC bad guys. Yes, Pakoto, but the dream police live inside of your head. That's that's the main difference. Um, and they're coming to arrest me. Oh, no. And then AIs. Um, so your AIs here, we're just going to go over this real quick. AI recognition roles. This is what Lou and I were talking about earlier. Um basically pure strain humans are very easily recognizable by AIs as users. Um, so it's a one D 20 plus your genotype modifier plus other modifiers. Um, when you're being recognized by the AI and, uh, plantians don't get AI recognition roles because they're not humans. They're plants. So, Plantians can't interface with AIs, but even like a, a manimal might be able to. And we have a table that's helpful for AI recognition roles. Uh, minus four for a manimal. Uh, mutants, just you get no bonus. Pure strain human, plus two. Uh, plus one additional if you're in the clothes of the Ancient Ones. If you're a mutant with no visible mutations, you get a plus one. Visible mutations, it can vary. Uh, primate manimals get a plus one, and then PC with functioning com badges get a plus two to plus four, depending on their clearance. And then the artificial intelligences. Uh, if it's a domestic appliance, toy, household bot, or household hologram... I have a reputation for being obsessed with the Brave Little Toaster, so uh, just as a, a warning to anyone who plays in an MCC game that I may uh, GM in the future, uh, you you bet your ass that you will run into the Brave Little Toaster at some point. Whether or not you can interface him, interface with him, we shall see. And then, um, you know, merely being recognized by the AI is only a first step towards possibly matter. So important AIs were programmed only to respond to humans with sufficient security clearances. So if you had the comm badge, like it mentioned, with a uh, security clearance, it may unlock different features of the AI for you. And yes, Brave Little Toaster is surprisingly dark. And you have artifact AIs, uh, which is like, you know, your your magic weapons in, uh, you know, medieval RPGs that are intelligent. Um, 
you know, you, you may have to interface with an AI to use a specific artifact, depending on what you find. There's also the patron AIs, uh, which are discussed in Chapter 9. This is where spellcasting comes from. And then these are, you know, your, your typical types of artificial intelligences here in Table 6-2. And, you know, it gets into different types here. So you've got, you know, androids, immortals, simulants, synthesoids, replicants, computer AIs, mainframes of order, grid of net neutrality, matrix of entropy, cyborgs, covert ops, advanced covert ops, drone and military, Hard light and soft light holograms, resurrection holograms. Uh, resurrection holograms, you are dealing with Arnold Rimmer. I made a lot of references here. Personal assistants. And then robots, or robots, if we're going by Levi Combs' rules of pronunciation. And those are your artificial intelligences. These are all things that you can find. Artifacts. So artifacts, I mean, these are things of technology that you can find in, you know, different places. Uh, you know, be they toasters, laser guns, a Walkman, a Discman, MP3 player, a lot of music players, a boombox. So you, one thing that this stresses, you have to go the extra mile in describing uh, these things in a very foreign way, like describing a Walkman to someone who has never seen one, which is a lot easier if your players are under 20 Yes, a disintegrator cannon with a wide array nozzle, that is that's possible. And for people out there who know my age, yes, I have seen a Walkman. I remember a time where tapes were ubiquitous. I owned a few. I'm 25, so I definitely remember having tapes. And yes, as, as Lou says... If it goes on too long, you can you can get super irritated with your players and with yourself and constantly having to be like this this weird thing that you don't rec I will say though, Skeeter was great at doing it uh in Crypt of the Science Wizard. Uh, he described what was essentially a server room in a fantastic way that I didn't realize what it was until we got a certain way into the description. It w it was great. It's fantastic. And that server room was bazonkers. So. You've got some examples here. Dazer pistol, household bot. Um, a small metal tube with a grip and buttons. You saw it fire a beam of pink energy. Or a small hard stick you could hold in one hand. So yes, you can you can go crazy with it, but keep Lou's warning in mind here. Uh, you can drive yourself nuts trying to describe things, especially like on the fly. So yeah, it's uh, it can be a little a little much sometimes. So you know, keep that in mind. 
Combat artifact checks. Uh, roll 1d20 on this table, and, you know, different things can happen, so artifacts can break. And so there will arise occasions when a player character will wish to grab an unknown artifact in the middle of combat and attempt to quickly guess its function and use it. So you have to burn one luck point. Uh, you get one round to uh, execute it. And uh, you just roll a d20, basically. You can add luck, but, you know, you roll a d20 to see what it does. Everyday artifacts, you know, th this is where, you know, like, here's a lamp. Here's a toaster. Here's a refrigerator. Here's a massage chair. And it's got, you know, power source. Here's an atomic, uh, cybernetic massage chair uh, that is in serviceable condition. And you get Radburn from it. Roll Radburn. Roll Radburn from the atomic massage chair. And here you've got, you know, different artifact types. So you've got your Dazer, Phaser, Gauzer, Laser, and Maser pistols. Same thing with rifles. You have neutron rifles, EMP grenades, uh, force baton, plasma sword, zapper glove. I used the zapper glove in the Skeeter story uh, where, I, where I took on uh, one of the Eternals, or not one of the Eternals, one, one of the uh, Celestials, like a Jack Kirby type uh, creation in uh in crypt of the science wizard because my character went crazy after failing a saving throw uh one of the other players tried to restrain me and i zapped him with a zapper glove because i was going to kill that thing and nothing was going to stop me there was a uh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, Lou, those octopuses are no joke. You fail that saving throw, you're just going to go nuts. And the next couple rooms, those are not places you want to go nuts in. Because uh, there's all kinds of stuff that can just kill you. And if you're not careful in the Crypt of the Science Wizard, uh, without giving too much away, you know, the, if you don't keep your wits about you, you're going to die. And even if you do keep your wits about you, if someone else doesn't, you're going to die. And here we have a bestiary. Um, these are all kinds of crazy creatures and, and things you can... That's that a that's a T-Rex made out of cactuses. Oh, this game. This is fantastic. That is a T-Rex made out of cactuses. That is fantastic. And just as we, you know... I, I won't go through all of this, like spider goat, capropod, it, it's a spider goat. 
But yeah, there's there's all kinds of crazy things in here, you know, from like, you know, devils, gopher, gopher men. Oh, they just kind of, you know, like dig underground and stuff. Piranha bats. Okay, Lou, what's a real thing? A spider goat's a real thing. Oh my goodness. That's terrifying. <laughs> um what is a spider goat? <laughs> okay, genetically modified goat. This is why it's good to have someone who knows stuff about agriculture here in chat because I don't I don't know this stuff. So uh, genetically modified goats to produce spider silk for experimentation. Oh goodness, we didn't learn anything from Doctor Ian Malcolm, did we? Okay, so they're normal, but their their milk is weird. All right. I imagine there had to be someone in that laboratory when they were developing the spider goat who was just like, if this goes a certain way, we're going to have a monster movie on our hands. We have a goat with the proportional strength of a spider, eight legs, and venom. And a hard carapace. No, that that is an interesting pull from something that's actually real. I I love that. That that's fantastic. And just to uh, to finish things off here real quick, um, patron AIs. These are the AIs that grant you your uh, your spells as a shaman. So you've got your uh, your bond that you you have to roll depending on you know things that can happen. So shaman commits to a lifelong service of a patron AI, forming a pact to gain its support. So long as the shaman continues to please it with their service, the patron may be a global computer network, satellite defense system, quantum consciousness. Or are there artificial intelligence who accepts the shaman's service? So you pray to Skynet, you do uh, Skynet's bidding, and Skynet grants you powers. Essentially. And it's like, you know, being a warlock or a cleric. You have to uh, be faithful to the AI or you can run into problems. Because these things literally rewrite your brain. That's how you get powers. There's a nice little uh, little Jack Kirby homage there. And you have a chroma. And along with this, you have uh, you know powers that a chroma can grant you. Wetware programs. Um, and it's, it's like this for all of them. You, you've got different wetware programs that are granted by your patron, uh, Gaia, Global Array, Earth AI, 
ALE artificial intelligence that was once in charge of the hollow grid entertainment networks of the ancient ones okay so your patron is tv hexacoda holistic entry exit ai coded on dna Mars Asynchronous Networked Galactic AI. This is the one that looks like Galactus. So Mangala was once a uh, Mangala. Let's be careful saying that. Mangala was once a space probe agency AI in charge of monitoring the galactic plane for Incoming threats, be they rogue planets, black holes, or alien incursions, once armed with an array of all-powerful superweapons, positioned throughout the solar, solar system, Mangala was overwhelmed by an incoming threat that acted so instantaneously that the threat shut down Mangala before nature could be scanned. So, this is your, like, space superweaponry. You wanna... Call down the plasma sword, powered assault armor, that kind of stuff. There you go. There's your patron for it. Me 10. Mnemonic entity times 10 billion. Tetraplex. Transcendent Extrapolating Term Research AI Plexed. This is all fantastic. I love this. Because this is all very, like, Lawnmower Man stuff. And then Uker, Universal Kinetic Underground Rail. So this is, this is a weird, like, dimension to it all with, with all this, like, AI stuff. Um, very... Very Matrix, very uh, Lawnmower Man, as I mentioned. It's it's super cool, though. I, I love that the magic system is based on AIs granting you powers. That's fantastic. And then, uh, just here at the end, you've got the uh, Assault on Sky High Tower, which is your, uh, your funnel uh, that Jim Wampler made for this particular book. So I actually didn't catch that, Lou, because, um, I mean, it's, you know, an old 60s cartoon. I, I um, am probably not familiar with that cartoon, unfortunately. But, ah, yes, the Jetsons. I am familiar with the Jetsons, but I, uh, <sighs> that's hilarious. You're assaulting the Jetsons' house. That's great. Oh, I love it. There's Rosie. There, there we go. It's, it's interesting the things that that Jim put in here. The names, the bubble car. Yep, yeah, I gotcha. That's fantastic. Posey. Yep, yep. I love it. I love it. This is great. And then, of course, at the end here. 
Uh, you've got a character sheet for a zero level character. And uh, some inserts here that, you know, mention, you know, Judge's Screen, Hive of the Overmind. I believe, so I got this in a bundle. Uh, it was a, a super cheap uh, bundle of holding deal that, you know, I got all of this on. So I believe I've got at least the first three modules. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely... Definitely like taking Elroy's hat. The character's just wearing Elroy's hat the whole time. Or I imagine in the same way that like a barbarian would wear like a, a yak's head like and fur as a cape. You put like Rosie's head as, on top of your head as a hat. That Yeah. That's great. But yeah, there's all kinds of supported modules for this. Uh, you know, lots of great ones put out by, of course, Jim Wampler. Uh, Tim Kask has done some work on this too. Uh, Michael Curtis. And of course, I should mention uh, that Lou in chat here has done a lot of great work. Lou Alou uh, currently is is working on some great adventures for... Uh, mutant crawl classics so uh definitely support him he's been great here um yeah uh pakoto you could you could definitely take mutant crawl classics as a skeleton for a fallout role-playing game if you didn't necessarily want to use the official one or if you just like these rules better which i do uh, so yeah, you could use this for uh, Fallout. You could you know tweak it a little bit for Mad Max. Um, in addition to you know the Terra AD setting, you could use this for your own uh, you know crazy role playing adventures in a post apocalyptic wasteland, which is what I love about you know both of these books. And of course, um, as we mentioned. Yeah, as we mentioned, everything here is uh, compatible with Dungeon Crawl Classics, um, so you can you can use them together. Uh, like I mentioned, when I was playing uh, Crypt of the Science Wizard, and when I was playing uh, the game that that Ian McGarty was running, uh, we were using both. So we had some DCC and some MCC characters that we were using, and I believe there's also yes, actually there is a yeah complete section here on using DCC characters in MCC and using MCC characters in DCC. Including, you know, here would be your bonus to artifact checks as a warrior, cleric, thief, wizard, elf, dwarf, or halfling. And just as a disclaimer um, that, that Lou dropped in chat here, uh, as he says, the adventures are unequal. Some are great. Some are, uh, um, he likes Hive, Blessing of the Brotherhood, Post-Humans, and Apocalypse Arc. Those are his favorites. And, uh, you know, check out what Dandelion Games is putting out, because I know it's going to be fantastic. Um, but yeah, this is Mutant Crawl Classics. Uh, just kind of a crash course in what it is how the mechanics work, all that stuff. So 
I hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, this has been great. I love diving into books like this and just, you know, examining the mechanics and all that. Um, so, yeah, there, there's some great stuff in DCC. Uh, you can, you know, reuse stuff like that. Even, uh, like, if you were playing uh, Chult, if you got Venger's Chult books, those practically are Mutant Crawl classics. You could run... You could run Chult with MCC. I'm pretty sure he even says that. Uh, so, yeah, there's all kinds of great options out there. Um, and Bakoto mentions here you can, you know, you can port over DCC Adventures to MCC. I wonder what it would be like to do, like, post-apocalyptic... Uh, why did I just forget the name of their city? Fawford and Grey Mouser. That Lankmar. Post-apocalyptic Lankmar. You could also do America, Hubris, uh, like Pakoto's mentioning here. I could even see 2000 AD. If you if you wanted to like run a Judge Dredd type game, you'd be leaning a lot more on tech. You might have to do a little bit more work if you wanted to like full on do Judge Dredd. But yeah, you, all that stuff. And heck, uh, Pakoto, you know, Gamma World Metamorphosis Alpha. This is basically like the spiritual successor to those. So, you know, all that stuff is uh, is great. And, you know, Lou Alou mentions Frozen in Time as a DCC MCC adventure. So, yeah, there's all kinds of great options out there, even leaving aside what your own mind can come up with on its own. So, you know, you, you've got an embarrassment of riches out there to choose from. And people like Skeeter Green, Levi Combs, Luau Lu, uh, the Silver Boulets, they are constantly putting out stuff like this. Mud Puppy Games. Uh, you know, I, of course, I need to mention Jim's company. He, just, he, he wrote the thing. There's all kinds of great support for Mutant Crawl Classics. I've had a lot of those guys on the show. Uh, there's tons of cool stuff to do. And so, you know, we'll be looking a lot more at MCC and DCC moving forward because I love the system. They're, they're awesome and fantastic. So that's going to do it for today's episode. I'm glad, you know, uh, Pakoto and Lou, I'm glad you guys could, uh, you know, drop by and chat, help me out a little bit here as we go through, uh, you know, these particular, uh, you know, rules. Next week, uh, it'll be another solo episode. Don't quite know what I'm going to do yet. I will keep you guys posted. The week after that, on the 15th, we will be back in Night Haven. Another session of Shades of Grey with uh, the Gamertarians and John and Joe Page. That'll be a ton of fun. Uh, last session was a barn burner. Hopefully we can continue the uh, the momentum from there. Uh, but until then, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I am so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you guys on the other side. Have a good night. <laughs>